you. If you're here as a guest, my name's Mark. I get to serve as one of the elders at the church here. Thanks for joining us today. If you're, especially if you're here for the baptism, I'm uh, really glad you all could be here. I want to uh, just give you a heads up on where we're going with the preaching uh, through the summer. We have, we're in a series called Faithful Church. As two churches have combined to become one, we were trying to lay out our, our vision for what kind of a church we believe God is calling us to be. We have one more message in the series next Sunday. And then we'll be in 2 Corinthians in a series called Old Made New. We'll be in 2 Corinthians, the second half of that letter. So <clears throat> chapters 8 to 13. 2 Corinthians is about how the gospel radically changes a church's leaders and members and mission. Some of us uh, have been uh, a part of the, the first part of that series. Others, uh, this will be the first time dropping into 2 Corinthians. So we'll get an orientation to that. A 4th of July, and then July and August will be in 2 Corinthians 8 to 13. This morning, as the topic of faithful elders comes up in our faithful church series, I just want to let you know there's a little book called Church Elders uh, that's about how elders function in, as servants of Jesus in the church. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be an elder, if you're uh, just interested or maybe you wonder if God might be calling you at some point to be an elder or uh, uh, might think this might be helpful for someone else, there are 20 copies available in the bookstore for free and you can make your way there after the service. Also this morning, as um, we are a, a newly combined church, um, I thought, you know, you probably might not know the names and faces of all the elders if we did the names over here and the the, the, the faces over here, can you match everybody up? Uh, and so here's a quick tour. Here's a guided tour of the elders of Redeeming Grace Church. There are 11 of us. Adam Supis, Dave Falk, Dave Souter, Edward Hunt, Justin Pearson, Kenneth Moresco, me, Mike Yang, Paul Shirey, Tom Van Raphorst, and Vince Hinders. So there's a quick tour and uh, we love you, we love being your elders, and we're excited about this new season as a, as a combined church. So we're looking forward to getting to know you and, and, and to being known by you as well. So feel free to reach out to any of the elders at any time if you'd like to, to get to know us better, and we'll be doing the same with you. This morning, the passage is from 1 Peter, it's chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4, and Doreen Piper is going to read God's word to us. So prepare your heart to hear God's word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh, chief shepherd, there will be a moment when you will return. There will be a moment when we will each one of us take our last breath on earth in this age. In between now and then, 
do your shepherding work amongst us today. Draw near to us by your spirit. Gather the scattered. Strengthen the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. Pull back those who are straying. I pray, Chief Shepherd, that you would feed this flock through the efforts of this assistant shepherd here now in your name and to your, for your glory, I pray. Amen. So I want to ask a question as we get started this morning. Who needs a shepherd? Who needs a shepherd? Do you need a shepherd? Do you understand the purpose and the value of these church leaders called elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers? The world we live in doesn't need shepherds. The world we live in tells you constantly that you can find what you need by looking inside yourself. It tells you this by saying, live your truth. You do you. You are a put-together person. When we turn to God's word in scripture, is that the message that we find? See, the message that we find in scripture is, is actually the opposite of the message that we breathe in in our culture every day. Do you know that one of the key ways God describes you in scripture is this? You ready? You're a sheep. There's a selfie. Now, I just, I just want to ask, is this how you think of yourself? When you introduce yourself, when like resumes, social media, bios, you know, when you're talking about yourself, do you think of yourself as a sheep? Here's what God says to us, about us. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep, here's a universal, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we see that going your own way, living your truth, it doesn't lead to life, does it? It leads to being lost. So I want to ask you again, do you see yourself in this way? Do you see yourself as a sheep? Do you think about yourself in those terms? It's not the most flattering description, is it? The problem with sheep is, one, they're not very smart, and two, they're basically defenseless. Right? Let me read you one of my favorite sheep quotes. Sheep are not only dependent creatures... They are also singularly unintelligent. This is my autobiography, right? And yours, okay? Singularly unintelligent, prone to wandering, and unable to find their way home to a sheepfold even when it's within sight. You're in your driveway and you can't make it to the front door this is your autobiography. This is the reality of our condition apart from God. This is really the starting point of the Christian life. We are sheep in need of rescue. And Christ comes to rescue. 
Thank God for that. Hear the word that the writer of this letter, Peter, pens in reflecting on Isaiah 53, 6. He says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you see yourself as a sheep, it will come naturally to see your need for a shepherd. If you don't see yourself as a sheep, you will not likely see your need for a shepherd. And this message and much of the gospel and life together in Christ won't make sense to you. If you see yourself as a sheep, it will come naturally to you to see your need for a shepherd and Christ is the chief shepherd. That's where it all begins. But what we learn in this passage and others like it is that Christ has his assistant shepherds. Elders are shepherds commissioned by Jesus to assist him in caring for his flock. And that's what comes into view in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 4. So faithful elders must shepherd God's flock. This is really a message to the elders. So this is a message I'm preaching to myself and these other 10 brothers here. And in a sense, the church gets to listen in on this. Peter, as he's writing, he's writing to a groups of elders in these churches, but he wants the members of the churches to know how this works because this relationship between shepherd and flock is a vital one for healthy churches. Now, I need to do just a short history of shepherds because we live in an urban technological society. There aren't actually any shepherds in my neighborhood. I don't know, maybe you live in a different kind of neighborhood than I do, but the, the reality is in Bible times, shepherds were common and sheep were raised by shepherds in fields where there were no fences. So the sheep were dependent upon the shepherd for protection, for grazing, for watering, and so on. Kind of give you an idea of, of what it looked like. We have a, so here's a, here's a picture of a shepherd just out in the field with sheep. This is how the shepherd life would work. And this imagery of the shepherd with the sheep, it actually runs from your first book in your Bible to the last book in your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. We not only see images and stories about actual shepherds, but this imagery becomes a metaphor, an explanation for God as shepherd and leaders as shepherds. Abraham's grandson Jacob, all the way back in Genesis 48, says... God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. God has been my shepherd. Psalm 23 wonderfully picks up this idea, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep. He's my shepherd. Moses wasn't actually a shepherd. Spent 40 years as a shepherd. Later it was written that God led his people like a flock through the hand of Moses and Aaron. So there was this imagery of Moses the leader as a shepherd. 
David, King David. David was a shepherd out in the fields before he became king. And the Lord told him, you shall be a shepherd of my people. Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34 take up this idea of the leader as shepherd, but in a negative way. These are scathing condemnations of Israel's shepherds. Hear the words of Ezekiel 34. You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. I think you can hear the echoes of this in 1 Peter 5. I think Peter's been meditating on this passage. God promises in Ezekiel 34 one day to set up a shepherd who will feed the flock and be their shepherd. And that day comes when Jesus comes, the son of David, comes on the scene announcing that he is the good shepherd. He's the one who gives his life for the flock. He's the one who loses not one of those sheep given him by the father. And then Peter writing this letter He knows Jesus as his shepherd in a personal way. He was an eyewitness to Christ's sufferings. He was also a uh, first-hand receiver of Jesus Christ's ministry as shepherd. There's this wonderful moment after Peter has denied the Lord, the Lord has, has died and risen again, and they have breakfast together. John 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep sheep. Oh, what a wonderful recommissioning. Peter, after his failure, forgiven, recommissioned to go be an under-shepherd for the chief shepherd. Peter knows what he's talking about when he talks about the chief shepherd. Feed my sheep. Tend my lamb. So Peter writes, as a fellow shepherd, he says, verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Because he understands that Jesus is the chief shepherd and that Jesus appoints under shepherds, assistants, to care for, to feed the flock, to tend to the lambs, to tend to Jesus' people. So faithful elders must shepherd God's flock. It's not their flock. Christ is their shepherd. The flock belongs to God. Now, how do they do that? Look back at the text with me, please. I exhort the elders among you, verse 1, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the simple claim now. Hear this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God 
that is among you. I want to camp out on those two words, among you. Christ's shepherds are among the flock. Who are these Cappadocian shepherds, these elders from Asia serving these churches? Peter's not writing to one church. He's writing to a whole region of churches. And as he writes, he knows that in this whole region of churches, in each of these churches, there are identifiable groups of men who function in a particular way. He calls them elders. That's the Greek word presbyteros. We get the word Presbyterian from that. He calls them shepherds, which is also the word we use for pastor. He calls, he calls them to exercise oversight. The verb there is episcopeo, which is the, verb, uh, from, the word from which we get episcopalian. So we get these familiar sort of religious leadership words. The idea is that all three of those words, elder, shepherd, overseer, describe one group of people. They're synonymous terms. So I am and we are as a group, we are elders, we are pastors, we are overseers. We are shepherds of the flock. This was true from the very beginning of the church and it remains true today. This is how our church functions here today in response to what we see here. And the claim is simply this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I want you to see here that shepherd isn't just a title or a role. Shepherd is a verb. Shepherd the flock. There's something to do in this. Shepherds are to do this while among the flock. Just like that picture that we saw, the shepherd isn't doing this from a distance. The shepherd isn't telecommuting. You, shepherds cannot telecommute. You got to be among the flock to be a shepherd because sheep know the shepherd's voice. It's said that when flocks would intermingle for watering or feeding or whatever, the shepherds could separate and just begin to call the sheep and the sheep would know which shepherd to follow because they know the voice of their shepherds. Shepherds are among the flock so they know who's healthy and who's sick, who's weak and who gets lost easily. Shepherds are among the flock and that flock is distinctly that one flock that belongs to that one shepherd. In other words, there's some boundaries to the flock. We need a way to know who's in the flock and who isn't in the flock. That's why we have membership. As Kenneth is inviting you to become a member of our church, that's why we have membership because we need to know who we're responsible for and who's responsible for us. We need relationships that we find in the flock. You can't be among the flock and be a, a flock in an anonymous one-time-a-week gathering. We need to be a committed community with shepherds in the midst of that community. So part of being a shepherd means being amongst the people of God. Now, of course, we can't expect to be best friends with each of the elders, but we can expect that every member should have a personal connection with at least one elder. And if you don't have that personal connection, I want to encourage you to take the initiative to begin to, to reach out and, 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 and make that connection. And we'll be doing it as we get to know one another in this new combined church, we'll be doing the same. Shepherds are among the flock to know the flock. Relationships. Shepherds are also among the flock to, to uh, lead the flock. To lead the flock. There's a difference between shepherds and cowboys. Right? Cowboys get horses. I guess that's one difference. But cowboys drive the cattle on these 
cattle drives, push from the behind or the sides. But shepherds are different. You know how shepherds move a flock? They get in front and lead the flock. That's what it looks like. Not from the back, from the front. They don't push and drive. They lead, and that means leading by example. Shepherds lead through teaching. There's nothing more important than a shepherd does than teach the word of God. I'll say more about that in a moment. But I want to just camp out here on this idea that to be among the flock means to lead by example. I want you to notice that when Peter talks to the elders here, he has more to say about motives and character than about function and responsibility. I always find that interesting. 1 Timothy 3 is the same way. Three times he has this, not this but that, Language. Did you notice that? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Why this emphasis on character? Why is character so vital for shepherds who are among the flock? People may lament the sad state of the church and church leadership, and there are sadly reasons to lament that. But I want you to know, this is nothing new. 2,000 years ago, Peter had to urge and admonish the shepherds not to be greedy, not to be domineering, not to just do it because it was their job and they didn't really want to do it, but had to do it anyway. No, 2,000 years ago, this was a problem. It's always been a problem. There's an enemy that opposes all that's happening here. There's the flesh within the, the shepherds that still... We're still all a work in progress. But we, we need to recognize that the call here is that shepherds must be men of character. Christ-like in character. Not perfect, but humble and blameless. Healthy churches must have healthy elderships. And if you've ever been in a church that didn't have healthy leadership, you know what I'm talking about. Ungodly leadership can be devastating to a congregation. So elders must be, shepherds must be men of character, not simply gifted people. This is so important because we live in a world and a church culture that prizes gifting. But listen, it doesn't matter how gifted at preaching, it doesn't matter how many people have come to Christ, it doesn't matter how big the church has grown or how much money it has or how many churches have been planted, if the leader isn't a growing example of the character of Christ, you're in trouble. If the leader is harsh or domineering or the group of leaders are harsh or domineering or unteachable or distant, unknowable, greedy, self-centered, then that church is in danger and the leadership culture of that church is failing to reflect the character of Christ because under-shepherds are intended to be an example of Christ. It's a humbling thing to be an elder. Pastors, overseers must be men who are motivated to be servant leaders. Again, not perfect. There's only one perfect shepherd. But humble and on the way following the chief shepherd who washed the feet of his disciples and said, there's an example under shepherds for how to lead. Faithful elders must shepherd God's flock by being among them, to know them, to be examples, to be among them enough so that you know their way of life, 
You know their character. You know how they relate to their wife and their children if they're married. You know what they do when they're under stress, when they're being tested and tried. Shepherd is a verb. It's a way of life. It's not just a title. And shepherd the flock by being among them. Then he goes on to say, exercising oversight. So we camped out on among you. Now I want to camp out on exercising oversight. Christ's shepherds exercise oversight on behalf of the flock. What does it mean to exercise oversight? What does it mean to be a shepherd, to shepherd the flock, to exercise this oversight? Well, first it means to feed the flock. The kind of oversight that Christ desires for his shepherds first means to feed the flock. Shepherds have to take their sheep to places where they can eat and where they can eat good stuff. I worked for the Forest Service one summer in Oregon. I was in these vast tracts of federal land and there were sheep that were actually grazing in parts of it and there were parts of that area that they couldn't go to because the plants were poisonous to sheep and the sheep didn't know any better and if you took the sheep there, they'd eat the plants because they would just eat whatever was in front of them. They had to be guided to the right diet and the right place to eat. Feeding the flock is so important for a shepherd. And there's no more important shepherding task than feeding the flock from the word of God. There's no more important shepherding task than feeding the flock from the word of God. An elder without a Bible is no elder at all. We are shepherds leading the flock to the green pastures of the word. There's nothing that we do that's more important than feeding the flock in public settings like this, in private settings in small groups and classes and seminars, living rooms and Starbucks and all kinds of places. One of my favorite quotes, all-time favorite quotes, is from a, a writer, a bishop named Robert Layton. He wrote in the 1800s, so it's kind of old English. But, but this is a, a comment on, on this, this passage and this letter. He says, The grace of God in the heart of man is a tender plant in a strange, unkindly soil. Just stop there. This is a picture of your heart. It's like, it's like saying, have you ever seen a picture of a flower in a desert? See, that's what the grace of God is like in our hearts. The grace of God in the heart of man is a tender plant in a strange, unkindly soil and therefore cannot well prosper and grow without much care and pains and that of a skillful hand. Need some help. Are you a sheep? Do you know you need some help with that tender plant that's in your heart? That of a skillful hand which hath the art of cherishing it. For this end hath God given the constant ministry of the word to his church. God has given the constant ministry of the word to his church. We do this one to another as we've talked about earlier in the series. Speaking and and singing the word of God to one another. Sharing it with, with one another. But we also... Do it through the ministry of the word that the elders bring. We need the constant ministry of the word in the church, not only for the first work of conversion, but also for confirming and increasing of his grace in the hearts of his children. We gather every Sunday because every one of us needs the confirming and increasing of grace in our hearts. That tender plant needs some help. We need skillful hands. We need the constant ministry of the word. Elders are intended to be a gift to bring that skillful hand and to encourage that constant ministry of the word so that that tender plant can grow and flourish. So exercising oversight means feeding the flock 
exercising oversight also means to protect the flock. Elders are required, shepherds are required to protect the flock of God. Think about a shepherd out in a field with sheep. There can be bad food. There might be dangerous cliffs. There could be hungry predators, all kinds of things going on. Similarly, churches are flocks and there are, of course, threats to churches, aren't there? Bad teaching and bad teachers, worldly ethics, exhaustion, all kinds of things that we need protection as a congregation and as sheep. For us, this is why our statement of faith and our membership commitment are so vital. It's why we're uh, encouraging everyone to, to, as we restart as, as a church, to sign that membership commitment because our statement of faith describes, it sort of gives the guardrails for what we believe as a congregation, what we understand. It's a summary of what we understand Scripture calls us to, to believe. Our membership commitment is a summary of how we understand Scripture calls us to live with one another, the promises that we make to one another. They provide these guardrails for us to protect our congregation. They provide guardrails for us and protect our congregation so that we know when we're straying outside those guardrails, that's when we need help to, to, to be encouraged to, to come back into the green pastures of what's inside those places. Shepherds are part of the process of protecting the flock and helping us to live in those places of green pastures in what we believe and in how we live with one another and in how we live in the world as well. And there's this amazing promise, isn't there? Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, just pause there. You know he's coming. This is why church is so important. We're out in the world. Nobody's reminding us at work, on the news, hey, don't forget the chief shepherd's coming back. But I want to remind you, the chief shepherd is coming back. This is not the only world or the best. The best is yet to come. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. How can we respond to Christ's shepherds? I want to just ask you, What's the role of shepherds, of Christ's assistant shepherds in your life? There's a degree of discomfort in this for me because I'm speaking to you as a shepherd, but I also want you to know I'm speaking to myself because I'm a sheep. Before I'm a shepherd, I'm a member of this church. And I expect if the Lord gives me enough years after I'm a shepherd, I'll be a member of this church. And so this is a, This is a word to all of us. How can we respond to Christ's shepherds? But I want to just say as clearly and affectionately and urgently as I can, church, listen to our voices. It's not a rebuke, not a correction, but it's an urgent appeal. There's so many voices in our world. Listen to our voices. I, I don't think I can improve on the words of scripture in Hebrews 13, 17. Remember your leaders. 13, 7, excuse me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. See, they were among you. They were examples. You know how they lived. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We need faith examples. We need community in that way. Sheep like us 
need a skillful hand to bring us the word of God. We need the constant ministry of the word from conversion to the day we go home to be with the Lord. We need to speak that word to one another and we need shepherds who will teach us that word. Hebrews 13 goes on and says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. That make the hair stand up on the back of your neck? Kind of does mine. But this is, this is my idea. This is God's word to us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So I want to ask you, how deeply do you need your elders? How urgently do you need the shepherds here at Redeeming Grace Church? I want to ask you, why listen to your shepherds, to your elders, when you can get so much great teaching on podcasts, conferences, on the radio, YouTube. And here's why. Because those teachers won't give account for you on the last day, but your elders will. Those teachers won't show up in the hospital when you're there. They won't be among you to be examples to you. You won't get near enough to them to know exactly how to imitate their faith. Those teachers, as helpful as they can be, and I so appreciated Nelson's testimony and how God used that teaching on YouTube to reach out to him and save him, and we benefit. We need teachers. We need books. We need conferences. I appreciate the, the magisterium, the teaching ministry of the church but, oh, church, we need elders in our lives. You are a sheep. I am a sheep. And we need shepherds. So let us benefit from the good teaching that's available. But I want to say clearly, the meal that is served up in this congregation every Sunday morning is specifically designed and prepared for this flock at the promptings of the chief shepherd, a meal that you can't get anywhere else. I've preached from this passage before. I'll be honest, I didn't even look at the notes from the other times I've preached it. Not because I think it was a bad message. I'm going to preach the same text, but we aren't the same church. We're not in the same place. The same things aren't going on in our lives. So those timeless truths need to connect with this flock at this particular time in a particular way. And we trust that the Holy Spirit is working in a unique way and that you can't get that on YouTube. You must get that from your elders. That's the urgent call of this passage. Your elders here, we love you. We love being shepherds of this flock. We pray for you and thank you for making it such a joy to be pastors and elders and shepherds here. We want to spend and be spent for you. So I want to encourage you, if you're a sheep, expect the chief shepherd to work for your good through the assistant shepherds in your life. They're not perfect. They're doing their best. I want to encourage you to love them enough to follow when you disagree about matters of preference. I have to do the same thing. I want to encourage you to love them enough to appeal when you believe they're wrong. And if you find 
that in your midst are shepherds who are greedy or domineering or teaching false doctrine and who refuse to repent, then love them enough to turn them out. Turn us out. Expect the chief shepherd to work for your good through his assistant shepherds. Listen to our voices. Second, hey, when you see someone acting like a shepherd, but they're not officially sort of an elder, let us know. We always want to know when you see someone acting like that. Now, right now, we're busy trying to blend together two elderships into one. These 11 guys trying to get to know one another and learn how to work together. So we're not actively seeking new elders right now. But we always want to know who you see who's acting like that. And we're, we'll be looking for, for the Spirit's leadership to be adding elders in the future. And the last thing I want to say and this is, oh, please pray for us. It's a high and humble calling to to represent Jesus to you. Who is sufficient? Who could be sufficient for this? Thank you for loving us and praying for us. I love being a pastor in this church. I love you, and I thank you for the way that you love this group of under-shepherds here. So this is a, a joy to be able to give this message because there's so much to be encouraged by and thankful for. And my discomfort of talking about shepherds, being one myself, can be relieved here because now we're going to have the Lord's Supper and we can go back to looking primarily at Jesus, our chief shepherd.